It's time for the weekly governance update and we're joined by Stephen Cooper. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Chris. How are you? Going very well, thank you. What about you? I'm exhausted. There's so much happening this week. Indeed. But you're surviving and staying safe in lockdown. Well, that's the most important thing, Chris, that we yeah. just do all the right things. Although I heard a whisper you were seen outside the lockdown area this week. Is that true? Uh, you are allowed to leave the lockdown um, area for work-related purposes. And yes, I drifted up to Mansfield where the staff there ran a very safe public session in a huge venue with well-spaced participants for a candidate workshop. Excellent. Good to hear. And good to see you made it back safely as well. But lovely place, Mansfield, and some terrific people up there. So I send my best wishes to them as well. Steve, um, serious topic that's been exercising my mind that I thought we might start with on the governance uh, update this week. There's been some more CEO changes in the last couple of weeks, a fresh one this week. And it's occurred to me that there's a real uh, flow on effect and an impact from CEO changes. Um, I think it's worth noting that in this term of council, we've had something like, don't quote me on the number, but ballpark around the 70% mark. So 70% of CEOs at councils in Victoria have changed over at least once in this term of the council. That's got a huge flow on effects, doesn't it? I would have thought so, Chris. If you've got an average lifespan of a CEO of about the term of a council, for the sector that really says a lot about stability, corporate memory, and I think more importantly, what's happening in terms of the politicisation of the CEO and the, I guess the ability of the political side of the um, sector to liaise with the administration side yeah. in a way that's sustainable. And of course it is all those things and some people have moved on um, for reasons of their own. Um, uh, others have been caught up in the politicisation of the role, which is, which is a concern. Um, I, I guess it's a political environment, so you're always going to have elements of mm. that. But um, I just hope people think about the, the, the lingering impacts, the, the cost implications, um, the, the drag it has on an organisation when you have a change at the top level. Sometimes it has to happen, but sometimes um, it's got real repercussions internally, doesn't it? Well, as we touched on, Chris, it's about tone at the top and the, the implications of those um, transactions affect the capacity of the organisation to do its work well. I think it's interesting too, Chris, that the local government inspectorate um, in the last six months, a report was released about managing the employment cycle of a CEO. And I don't think a report like that would have been released if the inspectorate thought it was universally being done well. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to note too is that the 2020 Act has some changes in relation to uh, the management of those arrangements, which um, that's, will start with the development of a policy. Now that change um, hasn't taken effect yet, but it's something for councils to be alert to. Yeah. And if I might point out, to me, the scary thing is uh, the bulk of these changes seem to happen in that six to 12 months after a council election. And we're just about at that point again. So we must be seeing what happens in the next cycle. Yeah, I agree, Chris. It, it, it is a reason for concern. And um, there's just a real danger if the underlying culture remains the same, that a cycle of the same pattern of behaviour will occur. And that's yeah. why addressing culture is important. They're very complex roles, CEOs of local councils. As I've often said, there's, there's few CEO roles where you need to be across so many issues, the delivery of so many services. So each, and, uh, each additional task that gets placed on CEOs has, has some sort of 
impact, but there's one that they're not going to be quite so concerned about as they were perhaps a month or so ago, and that's the delivery of the mandatory training for candidates. Chris, I was wondering where you were going there, <laughs> but no. That's where I was going and we're here. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's terrific. So um, the announcement, and I understand that you're, you're about to speak with the minister, uh, so he can be uh, more expansive than me, but the announcement that there will be online training and that will obviate the need for CEOs to deliver face-to-face -face or online training for um, candidates. So that's a good move. I, I think we should point out the Act still references the CEO's responsibility here. So the CEO should have oversight and be, be satisfied that, it, that, it's, that it's happening for, for their area and people have access to it, etc. But uh, they don't have to physically ensure it's delivered. Um, as was looking the case some weeks ago. No, and, and, and that's right. The CEOs will need to be alert to the touch points, such as the provision of access, such as maintenance of a register, such as ensuring that privacy arrangements are maintained. Um, yes. All of those things are still important. Steve, something else I've noticed this week, there's been a couple of councils, I'm not going to name them, but uh, where there's some messaging that's come out in relation to COVID-19 that has either been inaccurate or confused the issue for people. Um, and you and I were talking before we started recording today, there are processes that you should be able to rely on to ensure that communications in a circumstance like this are following uh, a, a proper plan. Yeah. Um, and it's a funny one, Chris, because, and look, we're all a bit jumpy at the moment because of COVID. People are feeling that, you know, we need to do something. I think the other thing we know from fires and floods is that sometimes the messaging from head office, if you like, will be, will take a little while to catch up with what people know or what people are concerned about, but you have to trust the process. Yeah. The Local Government Act talks about the importance of councils being alert to state and regional plans. And here's an example, because we're part of statewide emergency management networks. So I think the really important thing on that is that um, each, emergency, each municipal emergency management plan will have a sub-plan, which is a communication strategy, uh, which will have approval processes. And within those processes, obviously, there's liaison with DHHS, you know, the lead agencies and a connection to the Chief Health Officer. And following those plans will ensure um, that there's not mixed messaging. And, and in, in the interest of giving some kudos, some councils were obviously on the front line with the public housing towers issue a week or so ago. And my observation was mobilised very quickly, brought to bear those local services, um, you know, had people, even in uh, one example, people who lived in one of the towers yeah. were actually able to assist with you know, gathering information, provi providing services. I thought it was a really powerful example of local government at work very effectively on the ground. Yeah, and when it's happening seamlessly, you sort of don't notice it, Chris. Indeed, which is why I mentioned it, Stephen. I thought it was worth really mentioning. <laughs> Before I let you go, just a little bit of uh, administration for people, for any councillors watching or uh, committee members, uh, for example, who need to lodge their, um, their biannual interest return or indeed the related party transactions that are due at this year, a time of the year as well for annual reports. Important task that should not be overlooked. Yeah, Chris, and it's an unusual thing for me to... Um to have a crack at you about grammar, but I think it's tasks. What did I say? You said task. I think did it's I? tasks. <laughs> right, and I, I think there's the distinction that there are two quite separate tasks to be done. One's the related party return, as you phrased with the annual report. The other one is the half yearly return of the register of interest by whatever way we call it. And this is a histor an historic one. Um, yeah. 
maintain our grammatical correctness. And, and historic one, yes. And but I would argue that the task is to ensure that all of your relevant returns are completed and submitted. It, we're in danger of getting down a bureaucratic bog hole, Chris. They are related subtasks. Because um, so, so I would actually like to talk about the half yearly return because there's some niceties yes. with that too that won't change. Because remember that all of the conduct provisions for councillors, um, uh, the new provisions will take effect on the 20, after the 24th of October. So the historic bit is this is the last one under the 1989 Act, but the, some oh. of the principles won't change. And that is, it's a return for the preceding six months. So for example, if someone buys and sells a parcel of shares within that period or sells a property within that period, that it still needs to be reported. Yes, um, good point. And there'll, there'll be some changes, which we can probably talk about at a later date in terms of, um, from six months time in terms of the publication of that data. All right, good note to end on, I think, Stephen. Thank you very much as always for your wise uh, input to the weekly governance update. I hope you have a good uh, weekend and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Chris, you too. We've been speaking with Stephen Cooper from Civic Mind for our weekly governance update here on VLGA Connect.